lot that God has to say about this area of our jobs and how we how we approach our day-to-day, the daily grind that we call work. And so you might think, oh, this is just a separated area of my life where I just do. Well, God actually has a lot more to say about work than even family life in the Bible. And so how we approach our jobs is something that matters to Him. So we're going to look at that this morning. The big question we're wrestling with this morning is, can I find fulfillment in my work? Can my work give me meaning? Like, can I, can I have significance through the things I do on the job? And so if that's a question you're asking and you're struggling with finding fulfillment in the, in the work that you do, then um, God, God's Word has a lot to say about this. Um, I got a call this week from some close friends that are out of the area, live in Northern California, and the big issue they're asking is, the, my friend, he's really asking, can I do this kind of work the rest of my life? He's really wrestling. He's kind of having a, a crisis of what to do with his life and his career, and, and he's really concerned about the course he's taking. And so this is a common question that we ask. And um, family life can really struggle depending on how we answer this question. Your, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting approach can really struggle depending on how you answer the question of, can I find fulfillment at work? Um, according to one statistic from Psychology Today, I'm not sure how reliable Psychology Today statistics are, but here's what they said. Or they said that 60 to 65% of a man's time is used at work. So for a man, 60 to 65% of their time is used at work. 30 to 35% of their time is used with family and personal interests, like hobbies, just uh, hanging out with family. And then less than 10% are spent for men around things like this, like a church activity. And I don't know where you fit into that, but I'm sure it's probably pretty accurate for you. According to a Gallup poll, almost 80% of men feel miscast on the job or miscast in their roles at work, meaning like they feel like they're not suited to, to fill that role. Maybe they feel out of place. Maybe they feel like they should be doing something different. And in our culture, we chase significance we pursue significance a certain way and if you like you can follow along on this white listening guide and fill in the blanks with us if you'd like the common pursuit for significance at the top it says is this there's three things that we tend to think that if we'll just give ourselves or pursue these things then it's all going to come together in my life first is fame we think man if i just try to make a name for myself and become famous then that, then I'm going to really be fulfilled in life. That will give my life meaning. But the problem is memories fade. People who were famous just 30 years ago are, are just no names today. Athletes who were famous 20 years ago, I could just state names and you'd have no idea who they are. People that were famous 50 years ago and that they were the, in the pinnacle of their sport, you know, they were just living the high life. We'd mention names and we'd be like, I have no idea who those people are. I was trying to explain to my son, who I think one of the has the most beautiful swing in baseball, or who did have the most beautiful swing in baseball, Will the Thrill Clark. Who's with me? Again, okay, you know, yeah, he just had a beautiful swing. I was so fired up, I showed my son YouTube videos. There wasn't a whole lot of them, but I thought, man, Will the Will Clark, he was just he had this beautiful swing. Well, most of you here have no idea who Will Clark is. You're like, who, who's that? You know, and we can go on and on about actors, actresses, you know, people who are really famous in their day, but we we don't know anything about them. At most, they may be a blip, you know, on Wikipedia or 
some encyclopedia if we even have those anymore. But fame, memories fade. Another thing is people pursue significance through acquiring stuff, possessions. The more I get, that's going to really give me fulfillment and meaning in life. And so we drown ourselves in work because work is how we get money. And with money, we can buy more stuff. But the problem is the eyes are never satisfied. We buy stuff and then our eyes are like, it's never enough. It's just never enough. We put something on the wall, nice screen, and then we go to our neighbors and ours is like a, you know, looks like the old black and white tube. And we're like, oh man, mine is so outdated. You know, like, it's funny, I bought a 40 inch, which sounded massive, but now it's just like tiny. I'm looking at it like, this is pathetic, isn't it? My eyes are never satisfied. Now you might have a 28 inch and you're like, what's he talking about? Honestly, like I was living off of like a 29 inch for like the last 10 years or something. And so this new thing is huge until I saw someone else's. My eyes are never satisfied with cars, with houses, with stuff that we buy. And that's the problem. We acquire stuff and it breaks and we're never satisfied. Another thing is we pursue significance through power. This is another common pursuit, power, position. But the problem is with power is no position is guaranteed. The job you're in is not in concrete. You own a job there, you own a company, let's say. Even if you own a company, man, the economy changes and everything falls apart. And you thought, man, this was the sure thing and now it's just, it's unstable. And so these pursuits that we go after time and time again, and there was a businessman who, who said this, recently retired successful businessman, he said this, we come into this world as babies and that's the way we go out. He says, I used to be able to pick up the phone and I could talk to anybody that I wanted to. Then he says, enjoy your power while you can, because once you retire, they don't return your calls anymore. And maybe you felt that way. You had power, you tasted position, and maybe you don't have it anymore. Again, no position is guaranteed. And if you've been pursuing any of these things, it's kind of like if you were a, a, an artist and you're, you're shaping, you're sculpting something with clay. and you're, It's kind of like our work is that, we're like putting our life and all of our energy into forming this, this, these things and we pursue all these things and we, we just keep going after. We never take a break and we keep trying to shape a life that really matters. And, and God says there's some other things that add meaning and significance because of this. This is the real main point of today's message is our work does not determine our worth. Now that's a bold statement because you may not believe it, you may not agree with it, but what God says is our work is not the primary thing that determines our worth. What I'm shaping with my life, what I'm putting all my time into and, and just trying to get just right and spend all these hours on, and that's not how meaning and purpose flows into our life, according to God. There's another way, and thankfully God's been really clear on this topic in the Bible. The Scripture tells us this, that meaning and purpose come through two main areas. First, just knowing and loving God. That's one major area. Meaning and purpose comes through knowing and loving God. And then secondly, through walking with Him and doing His will. Doing what He says. Having a close relationship. First, I need to know God and, and, and get to understand what He says. And then secondly, I need to, to do something with what He says. And so, Jeremiah chapter 9, Old Testament verse says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. Again, those are those common pursuits that we chase after for significance. Then he says this, but let him who boasts boast about this, 
that he understands and knows me. God's saying, this is what it's all about, understanding and knowing God. He says, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. See, this is a big area. God's saying, make your life about getting to know me, getting to understand me. The truth is, God has revealed who he is and how he wants life to work through this book. And so he challenges us. He invites us to just get to know him, be in relationship with him. Another man, Paul, who, who had tremendous power and position, he looked at all that he'd given his life to and he makes this statement about his past. Look at what he says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, meaning everything in my past, I now consider it lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, everything I was pouring my time and my life into trying to get just right, it's almost like it was a big waste compared to, I now know Christ. He says, this, this trumps it all. This is what has brought meaning and purpose into my life. And he says, for him, I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. He's saying, all this old stuff. He says, it's almost like trash, Paul said to him, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And then he says, I want to know Christ. This is his pursuit. This is what he's making his life about. This is what Paul says gives meaning and purpose. Is this idea, I want to know Christ. He wasn't saying, I want to know about him. He's saying, I want to know himself. I want to know Jesus himself. I want to have a relationship with him. So what I want to do in this message is look at five basic questions that I think are going to help us wrestle with the area of significance. Can I have true significance? And so let's, let's look at these together. First one is this. And these are questions to really mull on over this week. We're going to just look briefly at them this morning. First one, do I know and do what God says? Do I know and do what God says? This is one area that brings real significance and meaning. If we'll know what God says and do what he says. We come to church, we come to something like this, and we get some new information. We store it away. We tuck it into our mind. Or sometimes we come to church and we think, I've heard that before. He said that before. Oh, I knew that already. And so we don't do anything much with it because we think we've already got it in there. But over time, we keep taking in more information. More information, our head gets a little bigger, a little bigger, a little larger. Well, God wants us to do something with all that he's pouring into our lives, all that he's exposing us to, all the insight he's giving into it giving to us, rather than just tucking it away, He wants us to live it out. He wants to, us to do something with it. We're to be like people who look in the mirror and then do something about what we just saw. Look at what James says. James chapter 1 says, Do not merely listen to the Word. This is the Bible. Do not merely listen to the, to the Word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and then... After looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, that seems so ridiculous. We've all been with kids where a kid, you know, a group of kids are eating spaghetti. And they get spaghetti. I've seen this with my own. They get it all over their face. gets in their hair. just gets everywhere. Maybe up here. And they're just like, how did that happen? And they walk in and they're, they're ready. And they're ready to go back and play or they're ready to go do something. And you're like, no, you're not. And you grab hold of them and you're like, let me clean your face off first. Oh, come on, Dad, I just want to go play. And 
they don't really care, but we care as adults, as their parents, or as, you know, we're like, let me clean that off. Can you imagine as an adult, if you were getting down on some spaghetti and it gets all in your face and all through your hair and up here and you, you just, you go to a mirror, you go to the bathroom and freshen up and then you, you see it's all in your face and you just look at it and you don't do anything about it though. You just walk back out. You walk back into church and you get spaghetti from last night all over your face. In your hair. It's nasty. And people are like, what is wrong with that guy? That's what James is saying we can do if we're not careful. James is saying that we have to guard against this. God shows us something in the Bible. He, he makes something really clear and we say, you know what? I understand what he wants me to do with my life. I'm understanding some things about what God wants. And then we agree with him. Yeah, God, that needs to change inside of me. That needs to change about me. I need to surrender that to you. I agree, God. And then we walk away and we forget that we've still got a mess in our life. And we're not doing anything about it. We're not responding to him. And months of doing this sets us up for deception. Years of doing that leads to disaster. Years of just taking in what God says and doing nothing about it leads to a life that it just falls apart. So that's one question. And this is, this, is, this is one way to develop significance is understand how to apply this verse. Get to know God and then do what He says. Another thing, am I being faithful in my current role? Am I being faithful in my current role? Meaning your current job, your current responsibilities in life. If you're a mom, a dad, a, a coach, whatever you are, whoever you are, are you being faithful in your current roles and responsibilities in your life. Jesus said this, very probing, powerful passage. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little, just a little, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So think about, what are those little things in your life that you're asked to do, that you need to be doing, that are your responsibilities? Maybe it's paper shredding, maybe it's filing, maybe it's cleaning up after... The break room's a mess. Maybe it's taking out the trash. Maybe it's staying late after an event. Maybe it's digging holes in the hot sun. Maybe it's parenting and you feel like, oh, this is, this is just I'm cleaning up poopy diapers and I'm getting food off the wall that was thrown on the wall. And you're, this is so little. This is so, this is the little stuff that Jesus is saying, hey, whoever can be trusted with the little can also be trusted with much. And if we're faithful with the little, it does something to our self-worth, our understanding the contribution we're making in life. It does something. Promotions, they actually grow out of our faithfulness with the little things that we have on our plate currently. The way that you handle the little things of your life is a forecast of how you will handle the big things that could come down the road. So that's the question. How are you handling what is currently on your plate? That's a forecast of the future. Then verse 11 says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? God's saying, hey, or Jesus was saying, hey, make sure you steward or you manage the resources you have in a way that pleases me. Don't just make this all about yourselves, but handle this stuff in a way that pleases God. The future finances that he may pay, pour into our lives or, or put before us is tied to the way we manage what we currently have, how we steward what we currently have. Verse 12, he says, if you've also not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I think this can be applied in a lot of ways. Renting, I think this can be applied to working in someone else's business and having a dream someday to own your own. If you're a great employee, you're going to have a, a, a company someday. If God 
provides that gift of advancement, you're going to have people that are going to be great employees. If you're a poor employee right now, you're probably, and you ever get a business, you're probably going to have some poor employees. Because what he's saying, this application is, hey, be faithful right now. Everything you do is tied to what you're doing right now. Your future is tied to how you handle things in the present. One way to guard against unfaithfulness in our current roles is this. Don't boast about future dreams. That's that sub point there. Don't boast about future dreams. We all have some things we really want to do in the future. Every single one of us has dreams of what you'd like to become what you feel like you're supposed to be doing with your life. We think about it. We tell people about it. Because someday, someday we're going to do it. James 4, 13 through 17 is a verse that I think is really helpful for those of us who spend too much time only focused on our dreams. He says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Like, here's my dream. Here's what I'm going to do. Have you ever said anything like that? And I have. And I've said things like that. And I can read the faces of the people who have heard my statements. Like, all right. I've actually had someone tell me, stop it. Stop it. Just do what you're supposed to do right now. Now, he was a mentor of mine, and he didn't, I, it wasn't just some stranger, but he, he told me, be faithful where you're at right now. He challenged me in that area. Look at what James says, verse 14. He says, why, you don't even know what your life or what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, instead of just boasting about the dreams, he said, instead, you ought to say this. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do right now, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. For you, what is the good that you ought to do right now? What is it that is on your plate right now that you, you know, you know, I should be doing this. I should be, I should be taking more responsibility in this area. I should be doing a better job in this role. What is the good you ought to be doing right now? You know, for, maybe for you it's kids. Maybe it's parenting. You're thinking, my, my kids are growing up fast. They're growing up really fast. A lot of people, they, in their, in their child, you know, while they're raising kids, they're pursuing their dream. And the years are advancing and advancing and advancing. And you can't get those years back. We work so hard. We're shaping this life that we really think is going to bring my life and everything together. All the while, our kids are, you know, they're getting older. Pretty soon, they're out of the house. Now, going after your dream is not a sin. That's not what James is saying. What he's saying is, if you're trying to go after your dream and you're dropping some of the most precious areas that you need to be juggling in life because you're pursuing your dream, there's a real price to be paid. That is when we cross the line and it's actually sinful. We've, we've ignored our responsibilities and we've dropped some precious areas and we pay a price. If that's you, it's not too late. It's not too late to say, well, I dropped some things and there's damage. God, God offers us tremendous hope. If we'll surrender our way to His way and say, God, I want to get back on track. I want to surrender my life to You and do things Your way. But you can stay faithful. One other thing in that faithfulness area is develop a heart of contentment. Don't keep looking at the things or just going after everything you wish you would have. Paul says this to Timothy, his protege. He says, Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Meaning godliness plus just being content in life equals significance, really. If you can be godly and you can learn to be content, and that equals a life of significance. If you pursue those things, Timothy... 
You're not going to feel ripped off at the end of your life. Verse 7, powerful verse. He says, for we brought nothing into this world. Meaning, you know, we came in, we're babies, naked. We bring nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. My mentor always said, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. He's like, I've never seen one. You don't get to take anything out. You can't take it with you. Verse 8, but if we want... If we have food, if we have clothing, Paul says, we can be content with that. My basic needs, necessities are covered, and we can be content. Then he warns, he says, people who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Griefs. There's really nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with riches. There's a lot of people who get there because they worked extremely hard. They were diligent. They knew how to use their words wisely. They knew how to follow well. And God allows them to put together some very successful company, some very successful business. But then there are those people who are so focused and locked on to being a rich person. And they'll, they'll pursue riches and, and they'll drop all sorts of other things. And they'll fall into traps. So God's saying, hey, be very careful. If you lock on and make riches your goal, you're going to step in some dangerous, dangerous traps. See, our work, it does not determine our worth. Over and over and over, this message comes through the Scripture. Our work does not determine our worth. There's some other things. Another question. Do I know when to stop and rest? Now, I'm probably not the best person to be talking about this point. Because I can be a workaholic. Sometimes I don't know when to stop. I don't know when to rest. Do you? Do you know when to say, you know what? It's done. It's done. It may may not be done because the truth is the work is never done, right? For those of you who have these, there's constantly stuff to be done in your job. We have to somehow learn how to say, you know what? This is as much as I can do today. I'm going to leave it there. I've been working on it. Again, I'm forming, I'm shaping these things. I have to leave it there because there's some other things that I need to attend to. One, I need to rest. I need to take a day off. I need to shut down. I need to decompress. I need to relate to my family. I need to, I need to connect, reconnect with God. I need to worship. There's these things that we can't do if we're just constantly, I'm going to get it just right. I've got to, I mean, and everybody in whatever trade you're in probably has to deal with this. And whatever you're giving your life to, I know I can do it. I've got to look at my message just one more time. I've got to study a little bit longer. I've got to... It's so hard to just say, you know what? I'm just going to set it there. I'm just going to trust you, God, that if I'll take a day of rest, that you can, you can make me more fruitful. You can do something through the rest. And that's what days of rest are for, is to increase our fruitfulness, is to deepen our relationships with people, with God. The fact of the matter is the work will never be done. This side of heaven, the work will always be toilsome. It's always going to be hard and it's never going to be done. Another question. Do I contribute to the well-being of others with my life? Does what I'm giving my life to, does it contribute to the well-being of others? We're going to look in two weeks from today at the, at the question, is it, a time, is it time for a change? On my job? Is it time for a change? But this is a big question to ask is, man, do I contribute with all that I'm giving my life to, with all that I'm spending time doing? Does my life contribute to the well-being of others? 
Failing to answer this question misses the claim that God wants to have on our life if we decide to follow Him. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Jesus said to His followers, His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, if anyone wants to follow Me, be My follower, he must deny himself, meaning say no to myself, and take up his cross, follow Me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. Now this seems very backwards. This is one of those passages that seems really backwards to our thinking. If I want to find my life, I've got to lose it. If I, if I, lose, if I lose my life, then I'll find it. That just seems backwards. What he's saying is, if I'll lose the focus that I've given to making my life all about me and my stuff, if I'll let that go and I'll put some other things ahead of that, that's where I find the real stuff. That's where I find the real life. It's not just about me. Verse 26, what, God, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Man, I get the whole thing. If I'm going after all my life, I'm pursuing all about me, my kingdom, building my life for my family. What good is it if I do all that and I get it all, but I've, I forfeit my soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Answer, nothing. So often we're so focused on building our own kingdom right here, right now. And the problem is, God's saying, if you're a Christ follower, I know you might be here and you may not have made that decision yet, but if you have made that decision, if you're a Christ follower, He wants you to build His kingdom and His righteousness. And the rest of the stuff that we really want, if we'll give ourselves to His things, He puts the other things in order, in the right perspective, in the right order, at the right time. But we get... In American culture, we're very private. We're very focused on building our kingdom. And we think, you know what? God, I want to build your kingdom, but I'm doing some things right now. I'm raising my kids right now. It's really busy. I'm working my job right now. I'm I'm building my career right now. But the problem is kingdom work, God's kingdom work cannot wait. We have to get after it right now, in the busy seasons of our life even. To think I'm too busy or I'm raising my kids, what it does is it ends up teaching our kids that our kingdom is more important than God's kingdom. Because they grow up 18 years in a home where they see us building our kingdom for our family, for our goals, our wishes, our dreams. Then when they're 19, it's all about them. Because our homes are a classroom, and they're learning from us by our example what life is going to be about. And so wouldn't it be right to, to bring your kids along as a family and to make your lives contribute to the welfare of others, to God's kingdom, to advancing what He wants, so that when they're 18, 19, man, they're on mission with God because they learned it by your example and by the classroom setting you've set in your home. And if our kids, if we realize, again, man, I've been doing it this way and I need a course correction. Again, it's not too late. It's not too late. Take the year you've got left and say, you know what, son, I've been a little off track in my focus. And I, and I want to change things. And I'm making some changes. And you're coming along and we're bringing you with us. This is, this is the direction God wants us to go with our life. Bring them along. Another thing is, last question, will my work fulfill me? Will it? Wrestle with this. I'd encourage you, wrestle with this. I think this is a question that we need to consider. It seems like the simple answer is, yes, as soon as I have enough power, enough money, and I'm in my right job, then yes, I think my work will fulfill me. But look at how the wisest and wealthiest king of Israel 
answered that question. He makes this statement. He's the wisest. He's the wealthiest. He says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Meaning, I did it all. I took it all. I experienced it all. He said, my heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. He counted all these good days as a reward. Verse 11, yet when I surveyed, when I looked at all that my hands had done, again, he shaped his life. He's working all this stuff like we do. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, he says, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He basically concludes, I worked, I gave my life to all this stuff, these projects. This guy did, did amazing projects. He, he stood there and he looked at it all, what he'd finished. He's like, I gave my life for that? That was, that was what I made my life about? The word he uses, it's a Hebrew word. It's, it's the word hebel. It means vanity. It's just like, ugh. It's like, ugh. He's, he said, it's like a chasing after the wind. Have you ever caught the wind? You can't do it. This is how it is when we pursue things that are not what God wants us to pursue. It's like we're chasing something we can't catch. But see, God says our work is not how we find worth. He can provide worth if we'll learn how to answer these questions in a different way. All sorts of stories we could give of actors, of famous people who gave themselves to, think, to things and at the end of their life they went crazy. Howard Hughes, an example. One of the wealthiest men of his time, the wealthiest man of his time, he gave himself, he was a businessman, an aviator, an engineer, did all sorts of things, had all of this money and resources, spent the last 20 years of his life isolated from people and going crazy. He'd given himself, himself to something that did not bring it all together. Our work doesn't determine our worth. Three last things on there. I may be able to find work that I enjoy. I, I hope that we do. I hope that you do. I hope you do find work that you actually enjoy. Solomon said there were some days where he really loved his work. He basically says in verse 19, the middle of this passage, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them or to accept his lot and be happy in his work, man, that's a gift from God. When you get to enjoy your work, that's a gift. That's a great thing. If you're in a job you really enjoy, that is a gift. Don't take it for granted. Not everybody in this room, I guarantee, is enjoying their job. But enjoyment in your job is not what brings meaning to our lives. But to be able to be in something that you enjoy, and that's a good thing. And so Scripture says, hey, work on your skills. Develop your skills. Find something that fits your abilities. Go after some things that fit who you are. Keep improving your skills. Have an accurate estimate of, of yourself and your capabilities. Don't don't think, man, I'm going I'm to go pro. I just learned it last week, but I'm going to go pro. Don't give yourself to something that have an accurate self-estimate. Man, I'm going to run a business. I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to do it. I'm taking out a loan Monday. I'm going, I got, I got some of my buddies from high school all together. We're all fired up. We just had pizza and beer about it, and we're going to put this thing together. Again, it's great if you can find something you enjoy doing, but have an accurate Self-estimate. Understand who you are. Since enjoyable work comes from God, you can ask Him for it. And if He grants it, enjoy it. But don't get hung up on thinking, I'm never going to be satisfied until I'm living my dream. 
Because you'll end up at the end of your life going, man, what was that all about? What did I just do? Two other things. You can find fulfillment if you will help coworkers find true happiness. A lot of people who follow the Lord, they have found fulfillment in jobs that they didn't think they'd be doing because they've connected with people at work. They've built relationships with people at work and they've shared God with them. They've invited them into their lives, into their families. And those people, those coworkers, have come to know Jesus Christ and discovered the hope and the purpose that He has to offer. One of my friends said he had the privilege of just praying for one of his coworkers and seeing God work through that relationship and through his prayers. He said, man, it's super fulfilling. And it's kind of what he's saying is, this is what I was made to do. It's more than the job. He said, you know, I really identified with that video. You, you know, work can be worship. Or last, use my influence for broader impact. Use my influence for broader impact. For those of you who have a lot of influence, you've got resources, money, you may have position. Look at what final thought you have here. First Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Even if you're wealthy, even if you would be considered really rich, really Powerful. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's saying you can experience the best of life if you'll use your resources for good, if you be generous. The band's going to come up and we're going to be wrapping things up. Hope you're planning to come to our picnic today. Um, it's going to be warm, but we'll have we'll keep the snow cones flowing and the soda and the water and in and out until we run out. So we got plenty of in and out, enough for everybody to get one, possibly more. But some final thoughts here. Take out this white connection card. We um, we're really glad that you came to worship with us. If you're not a part of a local church and this is your first time in worship, or this is your first or second time, and we're really, really glad you're here today. And we would just invite you to come back. If you don't, if you'd say, you know, I don't really know that I've connected with God yet, and so some of these things that I've been talking about, you're saying, well, you know what, I'm not sure that this all makes sense to who I am right now, but you're really wanting to learn more about how do I connect with God, how do I begin a personal relationship with Him through Jesus Christ? If you check on the back, at the top right of the back of this card, it says, send me info about beginning a relationship with Jesus for the first time. We'd love to answer questions you have. We'll send you some information in the mail. And if you'd like, we can talk with you more about how to connect with God. But on the top left, you'll see it says, my next step today on the back side is to, number one, take the significance test this week. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I'm going to answer some of these questions this week. I'm going to sit alone. I'm going to wrestle with some of this stuff. Because maybe you're going at that ball of clay and you're just trying to shape something and just continues to not bring it together for you. And it could be that some of these questions are the reason why. Maybe you're answering, you haven't answered these questions before. Maybe you're never even asking those questions. So I'd encourage you to do that. Second thing on there, it says begin volunteering at OCC. A lot of people who are in jobs that are a drain or even jobs that are really enjoyable... They come, they're part of our church, and they say, hey, you know what? I want to help. I want to be a part. I want to volunteer. 
we actually set up and tear down everything that you see. All of this empty room when we show up. And so we set it up, we tear it down. And it's not just the hired people of our church, not just our ministry staff, but it's volunteers primarily. It's We kind of work together on putting this, you know, all this stuff on. And so we set it all up. We'll tear it all down in about 30 minutes as soon as we're done. And all the classrooms for the kids, the nursery, everything set up, tore down, stored in a trailer. And so, but we're a mobile church and we require our, our church community, our church family to get involved. We don't require, but we we need that. And so if you're wanting to get involved, we would love it if you would. Check that box. Begin volunteering at OCC. And we'll, we'll just connect with you. We'll try to help you get plugged in to be part of the team. You might think, well, I don't know how to build these things. If you can put Velcro on chairs and stick a pen to it. And my eight-year-old does that, you know. We, we, can, use, we can use your help in, in a variety of different ways. And finally, invite someone struggling with relationships at work. Next week, we're going to be talking about dealing with difficult people at work. And I'm sure we all have them. We all have difficult people that we deal with. You might be one of them. You might be the difficult person who needs to be here just to hear, okay, what do I need to stop doing so I'm not such a difficult coworker to, to deal with? So I'd encourage you to be here next week and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. I thank you for the truth that we find in the Bible. God, I call it truth because there's so much